You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. going on guys welcome to another episode of peer pleasure with dewey halpus on equal vision records and sound talent media i am dewey your host with the most bringing you more great content week after week this week we have the triumphant return of mr skylar croom from he is legend he is one of my favorite people i have met through doing this show Uh, he's become a great friend and we've been talking about doing this part two for a while but we were waiting and waiting and waiting for something to come up uh, as far as new music and it is here. Uh, they've released some fantastic new music. At this point, they've released two singles. Um, and this shit is heavy. I was shocked at how heavy this is. Um, and we talk about it a little bit in the episode, but there were some dark times, you know, coming through the the He Is Legend camp, coming through Skylar's camp, uh, sickness and and all kinds of things that have that I think really translated to this new music. And I think you guys, if you haven't heard it already, you're going to really enjoy it. Um, my phone, he was funny. He was talking about his phone blowing up once the music came out that people were responding. But at the same time, my phone was blowing it. This is the weirdest thing. My phone was blowing up. People asked me if I heard the new He Is Legend stuff. And I thought that was pretty fun. I didn't mention in the episode, but I probably got, I don't know, seven or eight texts that day um, telling me to check it out which I did, and I was blown away. Um, but like I said, Skyler is an awesome dude. He's a very spiritual guy. Um, I, I love talking to him because he's got so many fascinating stories. He's working in film. There's all kinds of things he's doing to supplement in between touring and, and COVID and all that shit. Um, just an inspiring dude. I always feel better after talking to him. So uh, yeah, let's get some business out of the way, and then uh, you guys can listen in. So peer pleasure pod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me uh, with guest ideas, questions, or anything like that. Peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. It's got all you need to know about the show, uh, where to reach out. All the episodes are on there. If you want to show somebody the show, definitely go there. 
Uh, Rockabilia.com is sponsoring this episode. I'm sure you can go find some He Is Legend merch on Rockabilia.com. Over 500,000 officially licensed items from the bands in the store. Hit up the code PEER15 for 15% off your order. Thanks to Rockabilia. And we also have the Facebook group, the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle, as well as the ad-free feed, the video of the episodes, and the past cast available in the premium. That is peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. All right, guys, I have rambled enough. I am going to get into this one. Without further ado, here is the triumphant return part two of Skylar Kroom from He Is Legend. Nice to see you. Oh, how are you, brother? Good to see you as well. I'm great, man. Just living, uh, living the dream as it's as living it were. The dream, for sure. As <laughs> it were, that means. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. <laughs> I wonder what the dream is constantly, like life. You know, when you wake up from a dream and you try to remember it, I feel like that's what life feels like these days. Yeah. What did I do yesterday? Why did I do it? <laughs> what's well, been new with you man it's been it's been a while it has been, been having been having a, a multitude of like a variety show going on on your show man you've got like you've got crazy good guests it's, it's just I'm, every every time i open my feet i'm like whoa whoa okay well all right all right all right <laughs> very proud of you that's well, thank amazing you. thank you man it's just a constant grind dude you know how it is like it's it's oh uh, uh, yeah yeah, one one person connects you to this person, connects you to that person. It's just one big spider web is what it seems like. If if someone were to say, well, I guess it isn't, I guess it's a little skewed, but if someone was to look at the, the show as a whole and put all of the names on the board and kind of say, like, how did this come to be? You could probably connect the dots 
on a yes. lot of them on where it came from and how it happened. For uh, sure. So that's my way of letting the universe guide this thing. Yeah. I put it no, out there. I, I like that. I yeah. like that. It's all, it's organic. It's nice. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's, um, yeah, it's just a thing. Like, it's just, you throw it out in the universe, you, you, you throw the energy out there and it comes back to you in different ways. And, and sometimes in repeat ways, like we're doing now, like this is one I've been stoked to do for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to be back on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I, uh, I have some ideas for you too. I'll, uh, I might have to throw some in order to, you know, continue to connect the dots. Uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, have you had, have you had Posehn on before Brian Posehn? Has I've he been, not. been on? I was he's, at his special, his last special taping oh, was here really? in Portland. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's dude, he's he's so great. But he shows he shows love to his legend a lot. And I mean, he just recently played the new tunes on his radio show. So um, I need to reach out to him and see if I can connect the two of you because he would be a great he'd be a great person to have on just because he's so you know tied in with the metal scene. So he's oh, got dude. a lot of uh yeah, you know, he's he's a great, great dude, and that would be a good one for you to you to get on here i'll see if i can reach out dude i agree i'd be down that i'd be yeah, down yeah. For, for sure yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can make that happen for sure oh dude i've been listening to i don't know maybe we talked about this last time i don't know if we did or not but i've been li- so like when we used to tour on the long drives we would always put on like am radio coast to coast and they art bell is now releasing shows as a podcast like well he's not of course he's gone but they're putting right. out the Art Bell shows on podcast form. Oh, really? So I've yeah, been listening I mean, we, like we've, crazy. Been lo- we've been looking for those. Um, I, I usually will just pull up a random YouTube with the clips and stuff while we drive. But just mm-hmm. for that basic nostalgia, um, I, I search those out. And, you know, even even George Norrie's stuff, you know, is nice. And there's a, there's a few podcasts out there that do facilitate that, you know, creepy call-in special you know i just Mm -hmm. i live for that so yeah listening to that especially around this time of year it's man some of those old ones are so creepy you know even if you can tell they're staged they're just they're the best you know i mean the guy smearing himself in peanut butter and whatnot (laughs) um they're always they're always great but yeah that's good to know that they're they're shooting those out on podcast form now so i mean more maybe more people will get a hold of them well, there's people that need to be so like Matt Pinfield's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and from yeah. doing all his interviews and everything, right? Like, and just being a person in love with music that's like spread it everywhere. Yeah. The amount of hours that Art Bell has kept touring musicians alive on all night drives, yeah. I think he yeah. should be inducted in there. One hundred percent. I mean, just I, I I've told this story before. I recently, um, out of a burst of of uh, creative angst. I'd say I started a, a podcast of my own just on Spotify because I really wanted to be able to play full songs mm-hmm. and have it have the vibe of like a, an actual radio show with a announcer breaking in and waxing and waning poetically and whatnot. And so I just I, I kind of started that a few months back and there's no real structure to it other than the fact that I've been reading uh, poetry that I'd written over the years and reading short stories and kind of, but just playing tunes that I love mainly sad bastard shit. And, uh, but it's, it's, it was just a a really amazing creative outlet for me, but I really took, you know, there's that dry. Not a lot of people will know 
the the feeling of driving on like I eighty or through on I forty through the desert, and you know you're you press scan on on your radio, and it continues to scan and scan and scan. You see it go back through the dial, back through the through the dial. And then you would go on AM and do the same thing. And then all of a sudden you'd faintly hear that. And you'd stop and like, just wait for it to kind of come in. And then you'd maybe have to scan to another station to see if you could find the story that you were just listening to. And maybe there's like a minute delay on that one, but you catch, you know, something you hadn't heard, but I can, I've, that's that's like one of my earliest touring memories is just doing that in the middle of the night and listening to a lot of radio static and just feeling insane and and yeah i owe a lot to art bell as do many touring musicians dude absolutely the the i remember hearing the the episode with uh the dude from area 51 i forget his name yeah he i listened to that like coming in and out of sleep on an all-night drive through death valley and oh it was yeah, just and he's, so and he's freaking out, right? Yeah, yeah, he's freaking out like somebody's after him, and the phone cuts out. Yeah, it's amazing. There's, uh, you know, you can find these old radio shows. You can find, um, I can't, I can't recall exactly right now who's doing it, but there is a the guy who does Let's Not Meet is a podcast. Um, they have a paranormal podcast as well, but he's started to do these archives of old radio shows, and I just love that. It's like old school, old timey, like radio theater. Mm-hmm. like in the, in the vein of Orson Welles and uh, just those alone, having that old gritty feel and, you know, you're listening to these 1940s and fifties actor voice actors playing the parts and, mm-hmm. you know, they have the full folio, folio artists or whatever, whatever it's called, where they are uh, fully artists where they'll, well, they'll do the, like, you know, and he closed the door mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's, so it's uh <laughs> It's those are great. You know, I, I, I look for old time radio stuff all the time. There's no archive for it. So I'm glad some people are finally getting into that and putting that, pushing that through because I mean, there's, there's so much, especially for touring musicians. And right now, the fact that the road is saturated because everybody's just itching to get back out and itching mm-hmm. to play now that the pandemic, uh, rules of the pandemic are lifting. Um, yeah, there's a lot of night driving going on and a lot, you know, it's, it's the, it's the feeling that I get in the morning where I don't really like, I, I listen to music all day long, but I, in the morning, I want to listen to like NPR. I want to hear a story, you know I mean? It's just like a relaxing thing. It's something about that within, with a night drive, you know, after a certain amount of time, you're like, let's hear a story. Let's have something push this hour through faster, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of just, so I breeze through your podcast and uh, other others like, Oh yeah, dude. And um, there's one that's very similar to art bell. If you haven't heard it, it's called monsters among us. No, I haven't. Uh, with Derek Hayes is his name. He's, he's done a lot of, um, he's kind of a talking head on some paranormal things, but uh, his, it, it has the format of that. It's, it's call in stories with cryptids and aliens and whatnot. And he just kind of listens objectively and we'll offer he'll offer some research into what it is, whereas Art Bell would be like, "Oh, oh my, you know, like, oh, oh, that sounds rather interesting." And the alien came straight to you and talked to you. Like he he kind of plays into it and you know eggs the people on a little bit. But this guy will at least just take the story and say, you know, it could have been this or it could have been this, but I couldn't tell you what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Which, but I really, I've I, he's, I mean, he's in like his thirteenth season now and his stuff is really cool because it's all listener based you know yeah 
Um, and it's just, you know, people calling in saying, you know, I shot a Bigfoot in my backyard last night. It's like, all right, well, you know, like it could have been a dog, but, <laughs> but it's great. Yeah. Those things are, those things are like wildly entertaining to me. Just, just on this last tour, uh, tour, this last festival show we did, we rode in separate cars cause we were only three hours away from the festival and uh, up in uh blue Ridge rock fest. Mm, okay. And so in the car, the car that we were in, um, we started playing old Art Bell episodes and just, you know, on this back road, we're like, what would be the craziest thing that could happen on this road like right now? And everybody's like, you know, what, what if a woman just walked and like stopped in the middle, of, you know, and you, you start doing that stuff. It just reminded me of being a kid. There's, yeah. a, there's not enough of that anymore. No, the imagination is not dead, but it's definitely dulled and dumbed it's dulled, down. You know, we're uh, we're a distracted people yeah. for sure. Very distracted. I mean, that's why there's that old adage that like there'll be no more experts. Have you ever heard that? I've um, not. So like they, they say with the amount of information that we have now, there you'll you'll never pick up a craft and and devote the hours to it unless unless it's your passion. Mm-hmm. But we we won't breed any more experts in one one specific vein. Nobody will devote their life to one area of information because you regardless of what you're doing you'll still have that amount of other information like you know a deluge of information that comes through your phone Mm -hmm. so you know picking a craft or picking a hobby or something and devoting your life to it and becoming an expert in that one thing is very rare these days because you know on top of Facebook, Instagram, and all that shit. You've got, you know, you've got your Xbox and all your streaming services and all your podcasts and all the things that, you know, take up a lot of your time. So devotion is a very rare thing to come by anymore. You know, it makes sense, man. Like that, I think that way about biographers, like it Mm -hmm. seems like biographers were kind of the first super fan almost in a way, but then someone devoting their life to someone else's like documenting someone else's is such a weird thing to me. And yeah, they always yeah. seem so normal on these documentaries where it's like so-and-so's biographer comes on and it's just like a professional man in a suit. Like, yes, he was this way and blah, blah, blah. I always found that really strange that you yeah. devoted your life to documenting someone else's not Learning like a, a group of people, but like a president or a musician yeah. or anybody like, it's just weird. Like that's your calling. Maybe it is. I don't know, but it's just weird. And uh, yeah, I mean, I wonder if it comes out of a level of fandom or if some of those people are hired. I know that. I mean, I'm sure that stuff still exists, especially when you look at like serial killer fandom and like what's happening in, you know, the world of just like this new Dahmer show or whatnot. You know, there's there's all these things that and I wouldn't necessarily call these people biographers, but there's a level of like interest and and things like that, that we don't understand that we, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there studying every move of Elon Musk, but at, but at what cost, you know, and what, what are they actually getting? Are they getting the dirt? Cause those are the things you want. You want to know, you know, you want to know the, the, the oddball thing. That's what's going to sell books, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that is, that is also a very strange uh, line of work to go through. It's just, you know, I study this person in and out Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to always be bred out of, a, out of some sort of notoriety or crime or, or, uh, something off in the person that would make it interesting. Cause I mean, how many, 
how many you know biographies are you reading of great truly great men and women you know i mean that comes usually post-mortem yeah so um yeah that is that is strange i've never i've never really looked at that that way but it is it is weird to think of those people that just latch on and uh and have to devote themselves i mean maybe they're getting paid by a by a by public 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 publication something like that you know mm-hmm. maybe they're you know maybe they're paid to do it and they're like oh i gotta write this like i, I was just i think of elaine bennis on seinfeld just like working for pendant <laughs> publishing <laughs> you know it's like never never wants to do the job if she's not finding but, uh, socks or uh yeah, yeah. Or mr pitt oh i love yeah. that show so much mr pitt mm-hmm. yeah yeah God, that, that is my all-time go-to show mine too if i just want to yeah if I want to shut my mind off or not shut my mind off, maybe I'm just like end of the day. I get home. I do like four podcasts. I go home. I'm not going to go right to sleep. I put on an episode of Seinfeld, like wine. Oh down. yeah. And me too. Any me of too. Them. And they're so mm-hmm. good. And, uh, and there's always, there's always two or three jokes that you love in each episode that you're like, Oh man, I could not, I can't believe that's in this episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're just, we were just going through it too. The amount of innuendo that's in it, you know, when she's uh she's the beard and she's dating the homosexual guy who uh you know needs to needs to pretend to be straight for her his boss you know yeah and they go to the opera or whatever and she's gonna she's trying to chain turn him you know and they're talking about there's just so many like little weird like they're talking about the equipment that the team players use because they want them to switch teams and she's like you know I only get 45, 30, 45 minutes a week tops. And that's on a good week <laughs> with the, with the equipment. How can I be expected? And yeah. it's like that. Yeah. They're so good at that. Even the episode, uh, not too long ago where, uh, I was, I was just watching, I've been working on a, on a TV show, um, on the set deck. And, um, so I, I work really long hours and it's like, I need something that I've already kind of digested that I love when I get home just to turn my brain off and that's Seinfeld for me. Yeah. But I'm, I'm still even noticing little things. And I like the other day, the one I watched was where he was dating the actress that he, you know, the sex is so great. He couldn't get past it, but she's so boring and she just wants to run these lines, you know? And they had that scene where basically his dick and his brain are playing chess and he's got a little helmet on, and he's and and the other his brain has a brain exposed but he's got the help and then you know they're talking and they're doing all this innuendo because obviously they couldn't get away with this on on nbc or whatever it was on and then you know he he just he's when the when his dick was defeated he just goes and like slouches over (laughs) you know it's like it's such an adult like physical comedy but it's so great. I and, mean, you know, cause as a kid, you would never look at that and ever recognize what was going on. But it's so, I don't know, the, some of the greatest writing, some of the most, the um, most notorious, amazing comedic writing in that show and in curb, but like, you know, Seinfeld just has a special place in my heart and the curb, especially the curb Seinfeld re- reboot. That was oh, man. awesome. So good. <laughs> we said that all the time. Do you, do you respect wood? <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> The uh, the funny thing about Seinfeld is they're they are all terrible people. Mm-hmm. None of them are listening to what they're saying. I feel like I've said this on your podcast last time. I, somehow I feel like we got off on a Seinfeld tangent last time. I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> It'll be so funny if we just are saying the same things. But like they are 
they're bad people. They're bad people to each other. George is like the worst of the worst, like mm-hmm. constantly lying, you know, constantly just being an asshole to everyone, snapping his finger at waitresses, you know, Jerry's breaking up with a different girl every episode, just mm-hmm. like not into her. Elaine never listens to what they're going to say. And then Kramer is the only one who makes any sense. And you just are made to think that he's, he's an idiot, but he just like, he's the one that always says something profound Mm -hmm. that would probably fix the whole situation if they were to just listen to him. But they're just like, Oh, this guy. Or honest. He says honest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Except for your nose. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) He's a nose job. Spitting out their, their drinks. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We all collectively love that show so much and legend. We uh, like, I mean, it's just one of those things that will be quoted constantly. I, there was a time there where I was trying to do like the little intro bits. I would try to memorize them and do them in between songs and just see if anybody would catch them. And Matt started playing the bass. Like, <laughs> doo, 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 doo. Yeah, we, we, we tried to work that in for a little while, but it was, uh, it was a little few and far between and not caught on too much. What you need to work into he is legend is, is ripping off the, the coast to coast intro. Oh man. Somehow work it into a song. Whether it's a breakdown or like a a build up, like just and throw it in there and put it on a record. We could just have that be our, uh, like our intro music, you know, just find that bumper song and just play that until we went on stage. Absolutely. Some people would get that. Yeah. A ton of people would get that. The old heads. I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if kids are actually like, cause you know, in the age we're in with UAPs or whatever, aliens, mm-hmm. UFOs, um, it's prevalent and people, people still like to talk about it. I mean, you go on any of these streaming services and look at what's trending and there's always some sort of paranormal UFO explanations or mm-hmm. ancient aliens or whatever, but that shows a goldmine for stuff like that. Yeah. Cause you're getting firsthand accounts of very strange activity way before cell phones were you know around they, nobody was recording this nobody was everyone was calling in from a landline to leave this number mm-hmm. or waiting you know west of the rockies line we have and then you you would have to be on there for a wild card line just so you could chat about something like that that's i wish that could be a thing these days with like multiple numbers where you know where the person's calling from mm-hmm. And yeah, his, his whole, like, uh, his wild card episodes that were just like, anybody could call in with any random shit they wanted. That's like, you couldn't write that. It was all just gold. It's just imagine the imagination of an extremely bored person who is into the paranormal, Mm -hmm. whether this thing that happened to them is true or not. It's the fact that they have been building this story up that they want to tell on the air as their 15 minutes of fame, just grabbing this microphone so to speak and just being able to like let cut this yarn you know and mm-hmm. and the fact that our bell is so receptive to it and just like yes well yes sir where are you calling from sir you know like, <laughs> and you're telling me you're from area 51 love it's, it it's the human God, experience it. man it's the human experience just down on that's one thing i think about too lately is is if something happens to this world and so you know electricity's wiped out whatever's wiped out yeah everything i've done on this thing will be lost (laughs) yeah except for the people that have already heard it and may remember some things it will be completely lost there's no tangible like it's not a book like you can't hold on there's no transcripts right right there's nothing and uh 
so I think about that sometimes, just how futile all of this is to where mm-hmm. there could be some kind of fallout and it's just gone. All of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's heavy for sure. Cause I mean, you've put in, you've put in hours of your own work to mm-hmm. allow other people to express things and the way that you work, it, it is so organic and it's like, you know, picking up with an old friend. So there is no, there's no script. There's no like, you know, it's, it's something, it's something completely unique to, to artistry because most of these people, myself included, are, dread the long form interview. You know, we nobody wants to, to get on and have to deal with a barrage of questions most of the time, you know what those questions are going to be. Most of the time, they could be very easily figured out on an FAQ page or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, you offer a service that I, I think is uh, therapeutic somewhat, you know, because you are you are talking to someone with no agenda and you are giving somebody a platform to just kind of kind of speak about what, whatever, you know. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a it's a. It is, it is kind of crazy. Maybe, maybe one of your uh, listeners will, will go through and start at the beginning and start to transcribe and, <laughs> and have everything out there in tangible form. Is, I mean, I think it's, it's, I don't, I don't think people, many people recognize how close we could come to, a, you know, a, not trying to sound like a crazy, uh, like off the grid kind of person, but like, uh, the, the grid could go down, mm-hmm. you know I mean? There's that's not, that's not unheard of. There are solar flares out there that could wipe a good part of our, our, you know, um, storage spaces electronically that, you know, things like that could go down. There are people that are really terrified of things like that, mm-hmm. probably for good reason. I don't find myself fretting about it that much, but I also am ignorant to the fact that it could happen. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know the parameters of what such a catastrophe would would hold but i know when i hear people talk about it in my you know youtube rabbit holes or whatever it does it, it rings true to me that it's like oh yeah these things could be lost you know yeah um and it's yeah that's that's a terrifying thing but also think about a hundred years ago when stories were just handed down and mm-hmm. uh I think I think you've uh, you've still done a service, whether your servers go down or not. Yeah, it'll, it'll still live <laughs> on through the the voices yeah. of the many, uh, or the voices of the few. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of the two. <laughs> I wonder what one of these conversations would actually look like transcribed, because <laughs> it's not it's not structured at all. So it'd be like, did I skip a page? Wait a minute, are we on to this yeah. now? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if yeah, it would translate. Maybe it would. Maybe I'll try. Maybe doing it would. That. Maybe it would. I mean, you just you'd put put out the transcripts in a book form, and I'm sure I'm sure people would dig it. You know. Yeah. There's a there's people, a podcast called still read. Life in the Stocks with Matt Stocks. You know, who Matt Stocks is he does like a, a podcast called Stoke the Fire with Jesse from Kill Switch Engage. He's like a no. I've heard of that though, but no, I have not. I, I haven't listened to it. I'm not, I'm not as hip on uh, on music podcasts as I should be. Well, I was thinking he's done that he's made like two volumes of books from his show and i never got it until just now as we're talking about this maybe yeah, that's, that's what maybe a that's tangible why. piece maybe you'll have to I'll, I'll have to get in touch with them and figure that out but yeah maybe yeah i mean i'm sure there's some sort of like algorithm uh, here again we're going back to leaning on technology but uh, i'm sure there's <laughs> some way out. to get <laughs> yeah to get it get it translated off and rather than someone sitting there pecking away the the interviews i'm sure there's like 
you know, start at your, start at your top 10 or 20 and then yeah. put those out and then, and then, you know, go from there. Yeah. Skylar part one and part two and then everything yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Dude. Well, tell me about this. You, you're working in, I knew you were, I've always kind of been, I guess not parallel to film, but you've been doing both music and film for a long time in whatever capacity, but what led to hopping into this TV show gig? Like, was it just well, a opportunity and not a lot of touring? I'm curious. That, I'm yeah, that, that was, that was most of it. Um, so I got, I got really sick like, uh, last year and, um, uh, during the pandemic, I, you know, I kind of, I think that's when we first talked and I, I kind of leaned on artwork and trying to, trying to do like, you know, crude drawings and stuff. And I was, I was, I was trying to, trying to sell those and trying to make ends meet. And, uh, long ago, like 2008 or nine, I'd done Wilmington is, is a big film hub. They used to call it Hollywood East. Now that's probably more Atlanta, but back then um before I, I worked on eastbound and down a little bit okay um that was that was filmed in wellington but other shows that were filmed in wellington were uh, dawson's creek was the first big name one one tree hill um maximum overdrive was filmed here firestarter was filmed here uh the super mario brothers movie blue velvet um the crow brandon lee actually died here Wilmington. um Wow. In Wilmington. Yeah. So Wilmington's Wilmington's got a huge, huge uh, resume of film mm -hmm. and it's been, it's been going for a long time. I, I got my first break working in film after it hates you. We had a hiatus and I went on to do, um, I did props on a, on a movie. I was a prop assistant on a, on a film called splinter heads, um, with, uh, Thomas Middleditch and Rachel May Taylor were the, were the, the two stars of that movie and that was really my first taste of like onset life and that was probably 2008 2009 um but i would try to juggle touring so i would mainly like you know i'd get a gig i'd be on it for about a month or two kind of like touring so it was a very very pa parallel sort of life mm -hmm. um i would work for this production designer and uh, a certain set decorator and he would give me gigs when I was in town and I was very grateful for that. But most of the time they knew that I was just on the road with the band. But during COVID, um, they considered filmmakers essential workers because, you know, we were running out of content to yeah. streaming, streaming content. So, um, crazy COVID protocols, but I was, I went back in and started set dressing and working in the, the set decoration department. And, um, I had a job basically through the second half of the pandemic, which I'm, you know, totally blessed for during that time, I got sick with a diabetic complication, which is, uh, we've come to find out after I had my gallbladder removed, that didn't really help, but I was, I was getting sick and throwing up like, like upwards of like 15 times a day. I would be like, I would get up in the morning to go to work. I'm, this is like four 30 in the morning. I have to be at the warehouse at six o'clock in the morning. Um, and I'm working on a, on a TV show called welcome to flatch, which just aired on Fox. Um, the second season just aired on Thursday. Actually, I'm working on that sh same show. Now, when I, when I started this show, um, this sickness kind of hit me and luckily, you know, I had very, uh, 
very gracious, very compassionate people that I was working with. So when I would get sick, it's like, you know, your health is paramount, figure this out. So I would, I would be out for days at a time, just not knowing what was going on, multiple doctor visits. When I would feel well, I would go and work and be fine. But there would be days where it would hit me early in the morning. And then I would just be out of work. I would be like incapacitated, a shell of a human. I, I had no idea what was going on. And it took a lot of hospital visits, doctor visits to figure out what it actually was, what, which is diabetic gastroparesis, which is uh, my stomach doesn't empty the way that it should. So change in diet and whatnot. And here I am, you know, now knock on wood, I'm, I'm better. I haven't had an episode in a while and I'm, I'm feeling good. So, um, back to work, um, still doing this thing. I, uh, I, after, after the sickness kind of left, we had, we had done a tour with that band Attila. We went out with them and mind you, like we went on this tour called the rage fest and through this illness, I had stopped drinking. I had stopped smoking. weed, pretty much just like gone cold Turkey feeling like feeling like the, my best self that I've ever felt. I felt more responsible. I felt more capable. I had learned a lot in this, in, in the film community. I just been, I had mentors that had taught me a lot of things that I wish I would have known on, on the road. And, um, just genuinely a better person. I think like having, having uh, better life skills and like, you know, really, really wanted to tackle being on the road in a different way. Um, so the first three or four shows, I was sick after the shows, like all night, it would hit me. I'd be sick again, get up, hoping that I could make the next show, make the next show, get sick after the show. So as part of me thought maybe it was stress induced. Um, I think a lot of it is lifestyle. The road is hard. We know. Um, but yeah, so, um, my goal when I started working this job and then we started writing the new record, um, endless hallway, which we just dropped singles for last, last week. And we're, um, you know, things are, things are swimming right now. You know I mean? It feels, feels good. Things are starting to roll in cause there's been a big lull. Um, but my, my, my goal when I started working back in film was like, I'm going to juggle these two jobs. Obviously a lot of people know that I have aspirations to make film mm -hmm. and being a filmmaker on this caliber with decorating sets and like, you know, just learning the ins and outs. Um, I feel like I've been getting master classes and learning a lot from really talented people. Uh, so yeah, so that kind of, that, that took me from doing this TV show. I did another TV show in Wilmington. I got hired on to, to be a, a purchaser on a show in Savannah with the, the boss who I'm working for now. Um, we went down to Savannah, I worked for, for three or four weeks, came back doing band stuff, working on music videos, trying to get the album in order. I, I, I had to leave um, a, a movie we did for Netflix that's out now. I think it's called, it's called Along for the Ride. It's a Sarah Dessen novel, like a, you know, 14 year old girls love this, love this writer. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a cute, it's a cute movie. It looks really great with, you know, this, the set deck department, our department did a great job. And it's a Netflix movie. And, uh, I think beach house did the, did the, uh, soundtrack, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so did that went back into another TV show. Um, I just recently did a film, um, 
with uh, Michael Shannon's. Uh, he's a he's a pretty well known actor, but this was his first time directing. So I, I worked on worked with him on this film just recently, and then jumped right back into this TV show. So my goal is always um, that I tell everybody that I'm working for in film that like you know I do have a band that has been part of my life longer than most things, and there will be things that come up. I mean, obviously tours and with this record coming out in November, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm, I, my goal was to juggle and I'm doing a good job at it so far. So in the, in the off time, in the meantime, when I'm not working, I'm working on the band or on the road, I'm, you know, moving furniture and buying couches and, you know, hanging pictures and whatnot. And mm-hmm. it's, it's fun. It's creative. You know I mean? You basically have to have an eye for the frame and um, there's, there's different, levels to different gigs and then on on uh, michael shannon's film i was the onset dresser which basically your job is uh the composition of of film where you're looking through the monitor at all times you're taking you know thousands of photos throughout the i think i took like uh 16 1600 to like 500 a day of just like you know constantly taking pictures of the frame because if the cup on the table moves an inch you know Mm -hmm. that's that's distracting you know if if the plant yeah continuity photos and if the plant behind the actor looks like it's growing out of his head you know that's that's distracting so um that was basically my job on that on that but i it was you know it was a it was a low budget picture with the very very amazing cast and it was all basically performance based so you really had to give these actors like a bleak contrast in, a, in order to like react the way they were supposed to react and it, a lot of it fell on the decoration and just how things kind of moved along um but yeah that that job was um very rewarding very stressful but it's 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 a it's a very interesting job to be on set and to watch how the sausage is made you know i really do enjoy it and um hope to continue climbing the ladder in that and i'm I'm lucky to have really talented friends who brought me on and and uh my my boss is just like you know the best and they they trust me with the creative aspects that go into it so I really do feel feel blessed to have this job. It's it's um, very much like you know touring is a twenty four seven thought process. Being on the road, you you're constantly thinking about your next move. There is no there is no turning your brain off and like decompressing. You've got to be on all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's very similar, you know. But uh, whereas on on the road, you're basically thinking and waiting and pre- preparing for your. 45 minutes to an hour on stage like this job is just like you get on set and you're there for 12 to 13 hours pushing and pulling against the creative aspects of intangible objects you know so um yeah it's 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 crazy when when i try to explain what i do to people it's like people were always like, Oh my God, that's so exciting. I was like, well, it's a glorified furniture mover kind of, I mean, it is exciting because you are watching something, you know, you're watching something be made and, and uh, there's, you get on projects where you're like, Oh, this is just like, you know, punching the clock and, you know, we're here, we're in, we're out. And then you get on something like what I just did with, uh, with Michael Shannon and, and that picture. And, and, you know, you're a part of something really beautiful and something that everyone's striving to make one like fluid 
picture, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and you feel it with the people that you're with. You, you all feel like you're doing something special. There's a shine to it. So um, that's really meaningful to me. And I, I love film. So I, I'm really, really excited to be a part of that. But yeah, that's, this has been my life now for the past couple of years, just doing this when I'm not on the road and hopefully I can continue to juggle and continue to double dip and do both things, you know, like hop off of a film set and run straight to straight to rocking and rolling, you know, Mm -hmm. dude, there's a lot there that I want to discuss with you because first off side note, I've tried to get Michael Shannon on this podcast twice uh, mm. that guy has one of the most interesting faces in, in Hollywood. I think, yeah. I feel like he could play anything. Yeah. It's just such 100%. a unique look and the look in his eye, like can change. He can be a, a, a complete monster. He could be someone's dad. Yeah. He could be anything. It's, it's, he's like a chameleon. It's, it's always fat. Him specifically has always fascinated me. On yeah, how he's, he can do that. he's just an incredible actor and I, I can't speak to anything else, but, um, the other thing you're saying about setting up shots, like doing this stuff where this is going to be distracting, this needs to do the continuity. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you know what it's like to be invisible, which is yeah. weird. It's weird to think yeah. about it this way, but you are living invisibly, but you're still having to focus on everything other than the main focus. So like, right. You're like the peripheral vision. Like you're like a per- peripheral vision ghost. Like you can't. Yeah. It's such a weird, I, from, from my understanding of what you're telling me, it's a super weird place to be because it's well, so, so important, but you just, you're, you're living in this like alternate realm of everything behind the main. Like it's, it's so right, strange right. to me. Like, well, my, my first encounter working. So I worked on the movie take shelter with, mm-hmm. uh, with Michael Shannon and uh, Jessica Chastain, which was Jeff Nichols, one of his first like major motion pictures. And I, I was the prop master on that. Mm-hmm. And it was a very difficult shoot. Um, very, you know, because in the same way, your focus, uh, even, even on props, I mean, your continuity is key. And they'll tell you, you know, a prop is an extension of the actor. It should never be focused on the pencil in his hand should be used for purpose. It should be, you know, because there's a purpose in this pencil, you're not focusing on the pencil. You're focusing on the, what the actor's thinking using the pencil. I, I didn't like props because there was too much of that. There's too much, you know, the forks on this side, it's always on this side, the cups on that side, there's this much water in it. It's always on that side. The clock's always on. And so Michael's, Michael's a method actor. And these, this, this movie that I worked on is based on a play. So I, all the people that are had were cast, they were all also um, had came from theater backgrounds. But Michael is he's the, the reason why I took this job because you know, uh, Chad, our production designer, who is a dear friend of mine who lives in this town, he knew that I knew Michael and that we had we had done a movie together before. And he was like, you know, I think he'd like, because this is his first time directing, I think he'd like familiar face on set. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing set deck now and I really don't want to dip back into props. Needless to say, I ended up helping, helping out with props. I mean, you know, on a, on a film like that, you do everything, you know, you help do everything because mm-hmm. you want, you're in it for the greater good. You're in it to, to see this one person's vision your job is to facilitate anything you can to help that vision come to fruition. So 
um, every day we would get there and Michael would tell us what time it was, you know, in, in this world, what time it was. I mean, so, you know, we're doing a meeting, they're having a meeting at, you know, whatever. And it's a morning meeting and, you know, cause they're lighting it and it's got, you've got the light coming in ambient, ambient, it's hitting this plant wrong. So you spin the plant so the plant can shine a little better. And, you know, you're moving things in the frame. This picture moves a little bit down cause you want to see it. So, cause it's not cut off and all those little things. But at the same time, he's, he knew me from 10 years ago working in props. So he would kind of look to me to, to make sure that the props were right as well. So it was kind of doing a little bit of double duty there, but the fact that like, you know, in, in their minds, because he, because he is a, is an actor and a, and a damn good one at that, his mind went directly to the minds of the other actors and knowing that they were amazing actors as well. He kind of, you know, it was just a push to be like, you know, make sure her watch is set to eight fifty nine because, you know, she has to be there at 10. So she needs to be running and right. You know, so it was like little things like that. That's method acting. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't give a shit about that. It's like how some people won't, you know, they don't care about accents that, you know, Southern accent is a Southern accent is a Southern accent, but that's not true. It's mm -hmm. different across the, the, the States. So, um, that, definitely can, you know, it's, it's the opposite end of the spectrum from a TV show that I'm doing where it's like, you know, everything has to be the way that it, that the directors want it and the writers want it. But this was on set. We had Michael who was the director. We had the actual writer of the project. He was there and it was me and the script supervisor on the same monitor, almost all like, you know, all day long for, for five weeks, just, watching the same monitor or understanding what was going on, any little change, Michael would notice it, you know? So, I mean, he's not only is he going to be an amazing, he is an amazing director because he's directed this movie, but he, he's going to go on to do amazing things in directing. I'm, I'm certain not to mention that he's just, like you said, he's one of the best actors. I mean, he's such a, such a great, such a great actor and, you know, such a good guy, you know, just like the, the fact that he could see this come to fruition and like, you know, that we, that we hired a ragtag team of people to do it. And we did it for not a lot of money comparatively to, to what it is, you know I mean? Mm -hmm. But that, that when I tell you that I, I got a master's class, I mean, I mean, that's kind of what, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, seeing this happen and watching the ins and outs of setting up shots and how, you know, how he wanted the lighting. It was really, it was, it was invaluable. It's something that I'll, I'll I will take with me into my own filmmaking and something that I will hold dear to my heart. Just this, just the same way with take shelter. It just, we felt like we were doing something important. And now when I go back and watch take shelter, I can still feel that, you know, my, mm -hmm. the first scene in take shelter, he walks out and he sticks his hand out and it's raining oil, you know, it's like a viscous oil. And I remember that day I was standing over him with two coffee cups with holes in them, just like shaking this oily water I had made onto him, like just all over this actor. I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, this is probably weirder for me than it is for you. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, but yeah, he's, he, he's a saint, man. He's a really good guy. He's a brooding guy. He's a silent observer, but he's, a, he's, uh, he's, he's, you can tell whatever's going on in his head. Like he knows exactly what he wants and he, and it's full, you know, you, he, 
he's just got a million things going on. But the fact that he would walk away and like pull a piece of tape off of a wall, you know, you're just like attention to detail is like, it's so inert in him. It's like ingrained. So, uh, yeah, that was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. And, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm sure I'm allowed to say it, but like, you know, Judy Greer and Alexander Skarsgård were the, were the two leads and just to watch these two A-list actors just perform every day and with like very bleak subject matter. It was, uh, it was, it was something else for sure. It was definitely, it weighed on me. I would take it home with me. Um, yeah, it was just a, a very, very uplifting experience, but also it was a, it was a bleak, dark kind of thing because of of the subject matter and what we were dealing with. Yeah. But you can take that, the fact that you can take that home, it's something that's like fabricated. Yeah. You can take that home with you. It weighs on you. Yeah. It's incredible. Even not watching it like on the the finished product, but being in the space. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's tangible because our job is to recreate that. Uh So I mean, say you're, you're working, say you're, you're working on a set where there was a, you know, a homicide and say, you know, your job is to, to recreate that same space, but you know, weeks later where everything's cleaned up and and Mm -hmm. the room is bare and whatnot. Um, I, while I'm, when I'm decorating, like, I mean, for instance, I've, I've been decorating for Christmas on on some things Mm -hmm. and it's like, we had these scenes where we were doing Christmas stuff and I'd go in playing, you know, Bob Dylan's old time theme time radio hour Christmas specials, you know, and just like have this kind of other, you know, I like to, if I'm given a set and you know, the, the way the, the decorator that I work for likes to designate sets to people. And it's like, this is your set. You'll be on this set. You'll be getting everything for it. Everything will be coming to you. You put it on set. You decide what this is yours. You are, you know, Sally, you're Sally, you're an 80 year old lady who lives alone and, you know, whatever. So (laughs) if Sally dies at Christmas time and you're decorating this, this set for Christmas, you know, then I'm playing like blue Christmas and sad, you know, Carol, the bells and, you know, Gregorian chants, anything to put me in that headspace. And I, you know, I like to, I learned from a, a buyer that I've been working with for a long time. You know, she'll come in with, with some items. She'd be like, well, maybe, maybe her, maybe Sally's daughter gave her this, gave her this set of books, but she never really opened them, but she uses them beside the coffee table where she sits, sits her glass of milk and she'll, and she'll make, she'll create this. And this isn't in the script at all, but it adds such a layer, you know, it adds a layer to, to what you're seeing. And it's one of those things that cinephiles might pick up on something as interesting as that, or something, somebody that does work on, on, on a, on set might pick up something like that. And there again, it might be something that the directors come in and go like, what's that? Let's take it away. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's those little things that you're given creative liberties to that make the job so interesting because when you're decorating a set, you can, you can get this stuff and you can make it bland and you can make it stark. And sometimes the script calls for that, but you also can put your own touches in there creatively that aren't in the script that aren't scripted that, that just really sell it, that sell the, you know, I, I, what I was doing on when I first kind of got back into set dressing is I was the, the last looks kind of guy. So I would always be opening sets 
then I would be a set dresser who would get there a couple of hours before camera would get there and everything would be laid out and we call it the top layer. So the top layer would be, I would go in and I would doodle something on a, on a napkin and I would put it by the phone with, with a pen, you know, and I would leave a can and, or a spoon beside a cup of half drink, cup of coffee, you know, or like a bag of chips still on the table. It's like the top layer of stuff that, that you can't really fake that show real life in the room mm-hmm. that sometimes is looked over. You can see on some sets, you see some sterile things that, that happen. You know, you, you can tell when you look at a movie set, sometimes you're like strictly a movie set, but then there's some people who go in and they'll, they add these little bells and whistles that really, really sell the, the livability of where it is, because you got to imagine these people coming in the act no matter what the scene is, they're usually getting there. It's the first time they've seen this place, unless they're doing a block schedule where they're in there a lot, or, you know, they've been in there all week. They haven't been in there long. They haven't lived in there long. So if you had somebody that was a shut in that was supposed to live there forever and you're stacking newspapers and magazines and making it look crazy, that's, those are set dressers that do that. You know, Mm -hmm. those are the ones that, that show that, that livability. So I find a lot of creativity in that. And it is, um, the hours are crazy and it is, you know, it's a, it's a taxing job, but I just, I love it. I think it's so cool to, you can put little pieces of yourself in there too. I mean, you know, like she doesn't necessarily collect matches, but we thought this would be cool on this shelf. She collects matchbooks, you know I mean? That would be something that I could just throw in because I have them, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. things like that are, it just, it just offers a little bit of creative leeway and, uh, usually you know if people like it it's like oh wow that's really cool if they don't they take it away and you know no no harm no foul but it's fun you know you i like reading a script mainly because i aspire to write them and the ones i've written i feel like every every time i get to read i learn a little bit more about screenwriting but reading them and getting this idea in my head the way you would when you read any book like you know you you have to translate that into real life mm-hmm. and then when the cameras are on, you have to protect the continuity of that set. You know, you, you, you think a lot of, a lot of onset dressers will think they're, they're there to, uh, you know, to move things around for the camera and the director. And of course, if the director says he doesn't like something, you take it away, but your job really is to protect what your set decorator has created and make sure that if it moves, it gets put back where it was. If, you know, because, you may move a table that two people are sitting at 50 different times, depending on how many setups you have, how many shots you have. That table might move a quarter of an inch. It might move two feet. It might move towards the window. It might move from the window. Um, but it always, if there's ever a big, long, wide shot again, it has to be right back where it was when you saw it first when it was wide. But when they're sitting up close and it's a two shot with just the two of us there talking, that table could be moved everywhere because you want that in the corner you want the window in the corner and the window can stay in the corner the window is not going to move but the chairs and tables can't see but it but if it were coming out of my head Mm -hmm. we're going to cheat this cheat this over just a little bit so you can see the window again and you don't know that the table moves so that's that's my job in a nutshell is uh especially when the cameras are running is to make sure that things are are you know the composition is right the continuity is always on and, you know, so you're taking a lot of pictures, you're taking a lot of notes, you're making sure that things are back where they are. And then the next day, if you, if they shoot in there again, 
depending on how the shooting schedules work, they could be shooting a scene from two weeks before and it looks like it was two weeks later, you have to go back and find your photographs from that two weeks before. And, you know, the pillow was over here instead. It wouldn't have been that way an hour later. So there's a lot of thought going into it. So it's, it's, it's a very taxing, crazy thought experiment of a job. This is incredibly fascinating. Like this is stuff I've <laughs> never heard before. Like I, I, I understand you- continuity. Like if I watch a sitcom and dude's beers mm-hmm. full and then it goes to the shot of his wife saying something and comes back and it's empty and then it's full again on the third shot. I do notice yeah. stuff like that every once exactly. in a while. Everybody, everybody notices but, that uh, for sure. You know, that was what I knew of continuity was that, but it goes so yeah. much deeper than that. What happens yeah, well, when my- you walk into a room in real life, whether it be a green room or something, uh, <laughs> a doctor's office that you've never been before? Where does your mind go immediately? Do you start noticing well, that, things it, or yeah. do you look big picture? No, I, t- I take I take mental notes all the time now of like how things in real life look. Mm-hmm. Like just research. Like, yeah, just like this, my desk itself, like it's extremely messy right now. It's I've got shit everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think it wouldn't read well on camera because there's just too much clutter. But if it were scripted to look like this, it would be perfect. But if it was a desk of just a guy, it would depend on the life the, life the guy leads. You know, if he's put together in the movie, his desk's not going to look like mine. Um but yeah, in a doctor's office, in a store, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of grocery stores and um, weird like festivals and stuff, you know, I mean, there's the, yeah, I, I constantly take mental note of things like that. And then. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on the 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equal Vision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, 
Uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online, and splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits, and all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalist. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the past cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. 
So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Knowing where to get things like that too is like extremely crazy as, as a purchaser, you know, you have to know like that you can go buy the spaceship button panels from Granger. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, that's all it is, <laughs> you know, or just like it's panel buttons and you can find them anywhere. But like, yeah, you, uh, it does change. It definitely changes the way you watch film. It makes you more. I feel like there's a weird meditation of when you're out in public or out at a store or in a, in a doctor's office of doing like a, mental checklist of what's around, you know, and, and how things are set up and the way they really are. Especially if you've read a script and you know that that's coming up, you're going to have something similar. So, you know, then you kind of have it in the back of your mind, like, Oh, I need a plant that looks like that. Or I need this thing. Where would I get it? Or, you know, that's, uh, that, that less. So, I mean, it is definitely something that I'm rewired to do now to, to, I automatically take inventory of rooms when I go in, I look at bars differently. I look at, restaurants differently you know i mean because a lot of these places are sterile you know there's also this thing where a lot of movies will just throw the coolest shit that they can find onto a set you know and there's there's limits to that too you know i mean you don't want something to look overly overly exciting you don't want your set to be like so bananas that you're taking away from the characters and their and their dialogue and their passion of what they're doing but some of that stuff's called for, you know I mean? Some of it has to be, uh, you know, if you're like, say Christmas, like, or Halloween, say you're setting up a Halloween store or something, then that's something that should be over the top. You know I mean? It usually is. It's meant to, meant to be overly stimulating, but when the directors show up, if, if the surroundings are so over the top that it's going to take away from the action of the characters, then, then they might pull back 30%, 50%, maybe, you know, it, it, uh, it all depends. But yeah, I think it does. Like, I mean, I remember the first time I worked on a movie and I saw them pulling a car on a process trailer with two people talking in the car, like they were driving. I never knew that was a thing. I was like, Oh my God, the cars are on trailers. Mm-hmm. And there's like 15 people on the trailer with them holding cameras and whatnot. And like, I just, it blew my mind. I was like, I did not know that that was how that was done. I mean, now it's like, there's all sorts of things that'll just blow your mind when you actually end up on a film set and you see how things are done. I think most of the things that people get that, uh, make people feel crazy. I mean, on this particular, um, film that we, that we just did, there was a scene that was, uh, it was like 12 pages of dialogue and they did it probably realistically they probably did it 30 times that day and it was right <laughs> clocked 
and clocked right at around 19 minutes. I think the shortest was 16. The longest was like 20 some, but I averaged 19 minutes for them to do this dialogue back and forth. And they did it all day. That was all they did all day long. And then we would just cut and do it again, cut, do it again, move the camera, do it again. That is like, those people are professionals to be able to do that the same way to maintain, you know, some sort of center, some sort of like positivity in your head to like keep mm-hmm. yourself in line with that character. I, I gained a, a new, um, newfound respect for actors and how they, how they have to mentally be, you know, shoved into this box and, and continue to perform, perform, perform for a, 12 hour day, you know, the 12 hours of, of saying the same dialogue over and over and over and over and over. It's mentally draining on everybody that was there that wasn't doing that, you know? So it's like, I can't imagine how it must be for the, for the actors themselves. So things like that, I think, I think people don't understand when they're signing up, like, you know, to be an extra and you're like, Oh yeah, I'll go be an extra on a movie. But then you realize you have to sit there and do the same thing for 12 hours and you're kind of hurt. Like, you know, like Hitchcock said, actors are cattle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You are, you own, you know, you're, you're herded <laughs> off and herded back on and you're told, told what to do. And it is very, it's a fun experience. I'm sure for, for most people, but, uh, I did I did extra work one time when I was young and it wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted to get back into ever. I was like, I want to be working on this. I want to be doing something. Yeah. I had a buddy that was an extra on a movie here in Portland and he sat in a chair for seven hours and then hugged Jennifer Aniston on her way, walking through like a wedding party and then was released. Yeah. Yeah. I forget how much yeah. he made, but that was his day. He thought it was gonna be awesome. He just sat in this park on a, on us, on a chair just waiting yeah. and then all right here we go and she comes over and hugs everybody and then walks on and that was his day you know and there's yeah. a super interesting story that uh rollins told on his podcast about doing lost highway the david Lynch oh, film. Yeah. yeah how david yeah. would have these monitors like 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 on stage monitors blaring like rammstein and like super heavy music at ear piercing volumes all the time right. so because he was talking about how there's a way like a weight in the shoulders when someone's like getting barraged with something like that that they just can't quite handle all those scenes of them walking down the 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 prison or whatever like where their shoulders are kind of hunched it's because they're like oh god like trying to they're uncomfortable yeah. he made them uncomfortable physically yeah, crazy well, shit like that yeah he's a so different weird. animal he has a he has a crazy way of doing things but yeah i i i would love to work on a david lynch film i mean he's be so bad i think he makes he makes people meditate before they before they mm-hmm. work i think there's a lot of like very interesting things that he does that is uh against the grain for for directing and filmmaking but mm-hmm. um yeah i think i think he's he's an auteur you know i mean he has his he has his way that he knows he he gets his results but that's why his films are so jarring you know i mean yeah the way that most of his shots are are static and they're always moving around it kind of just makes you feel drunk and, mm-hmm. and odd you know i mean like he's a he's brilliant i mean by no stretch of the imagination the man is brilliant Mm-hmm. You might not understand his films, but he understands his films. So that's, it's always been something that's, uh, I felt this weird kinship to him because blue velvet was filmed here in mm-hmm. Wilmington and we were on the road at one point. And, uh, I remember like we were, we were coming from 
Portland. I feel like I may have told this on the last episode too. Um, we were coming down from Portland <laughs> and uh, I was getting tired and I was driving. Everybody else was asleep. So I pulled over. I had been driving for three, two or three hours. And I pulled over and I saw on the sign, I saw a painting of a piece of pie and a cup of coffee. And it said like, damn fine cup of coffee. And I was like, that's weird. Why would they have that? And like, this is like total twin peaks thing. It's crazy. And I roll into this hotel and it's like wood grain hotel. It looks kind of creepy. And I'm like, God, I just need to get a room for the night. And I look to my left and there's a painting or a picture of a mountain. I look to my right. There's another picture of a mountain. And I was like, what is, what's actually, what is this town? Like what's going on here? he's like well you ain't here for the twin peaks festival i was like what and he's like yeah that uh they just everybody just left it was the 25th anniversary of twin peaks and we have a big festival here you're in twin peaks and we were in north bend washington we had like just randomly pulled off the side of the road and for me feel you know feeling the serendipity and like thinking everything's synchronicity everything's connected mm-hmm. and i was just like there's a reason why i'm here i'm from the town blue velvet was made i end up accidentally stopping here like this means something and i'm sure if i told david lynch he would probably have an answer for that but yeah uh it blew my mind that we just you know with no no warning i just pulled off the side of the road and there's tweed's diner and you know, there were the towns around. We went and ate at Tweed's Diner the next morning, and I was mm-hmm. just like crestfallen that I had found this place on accident. But yeah, there's a there's there. I have a, a great great love for for David Lynch. Um, if you've never seen his short films, you can watch it on YouTube. You can probably watch all of them on YouTube. I have a, a Criterion DVD that has a collection of them all. I think they're actually on the Criterion channel if you happen to subscribe to that, but he did a short film called the grandmother and there's no talking in it, but it's one of the creepiest things I've ever seen True Lynch fashion, but it's uh, the dialogue is all, I think they're saying mine, 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 every, you know, that's, that's the words that the dad says. And he's like, it's shot in kind of technicolor with like the really heavy makeup. And there's the scene where like, the kid turns into a tree in his bed or something. It's just the most bizarre thing. But I think it was one of his first, first color film that films that wasn't on a super eight. So it was, uh, it is a bizarre watch. If you ever want to go down that, go down that rabbit hole, I, I suggest it. The grandmother on YouTube. Grandmother. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. After this dude, if I can find it's, it. Dude, it's, awesome. it is, it's certainly good for this uh, creepy month we're in right now. It's one of the, one a watch that I usually will just throw on when I'm like doing something else because there's not a like it's just you know whimpering and crazy mm-hmm. but it's but the uh, oddly beautiful in like a Tim Burton kind of way it's like it's very muted tones lots of purples and greens and whatnot it's like it's it's really really beautiful but very very dark and creepy. Well, let's let's switch over to let's switch over to your other your other. Um... There's so much, dude, I could talk about this shit for hours. I, I, I this is so fascinating because it's something I'm not familiar with. I've never done it. Like I've walked on the movie yeah. sets three times in my life. Mm-hmm. I've walked into the shot and gotten fucking screamed at. Right. Right. So yeah, they, oh yeah, they'll get mad. Dude. So fabulous Betty page, uh, filming oh, nice. in New York. We get, you know, we're still touring in a van at the time. Like Here's a hundred bucks. We save up money for New York. Here's a hundred bucks. Go walk around and do something for the day. Cool. Mm-hmm. I start walking around. The cars start getting older. 
the clothing yeah. starts changing. I'm like, must be some kind of car show or something. I'm like, oh, cool, it's New York. Like, I'm just one block to another is completely different. That's All of a sudden, York, I hear, baby. cut. What in the fuck? What in the fuck? And I'm like, dude, what, what? He's like, fuck, reset, reset. I walked yeah. in the shot. The security guard had walked off or something and let me walk through the set because there was just an empty chair back there. And he's he's fucking furious. They had reset. Gretchen Mall yeah. has to go back. And like she comes out of the, the she's like just walking into a door. That's all the shot is. And uh, mm -hmm. so I fucked that one up. And then in Texas, I walked into the set of Prison Break when they're doing a bus chase scene. We almost got hit. Oh, wow. We had he's like, wow, what the fuck? Like, get behind that dumpster if you want to see the shot, but do not come out from behind that dumpster. Stay where you are. They go back, reset the bus, come through. Anyways, fuck that up. Uh, and then <laughs> I Robot, that movie with Will Smith. Oh, wow. We were yeah, up in yeah. Canada doing a show, like a one off show with a friend, and we're walking down the street and we come to this crowd and we look in this crowd, and all of a sudden, Will Smith comes racing by on this fucking crazy ass vehicle. And we're just like, what the fuck? So we didn't ruin that shot. We just got to witness it. You just got to see it. It yeah. was so rad. Like that's dope. Yeah, anyway, that's really so cool. that's that's the uh, the fucking my my film career. Um, but when you step out as Skyler from He Is Legend on stage, do you feel like you're playing a character at that point, or you're in that kind of headspace, <laughs> oh, or are you yeah. just you? Because um, I'm curious where your yeah. mind goes when you're in the spotlight. I still have the, uh, I think I still have the off button, you know, mm -hmm. where everything kind of goes blank when I get on stage and I've been performing for so long, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't think there's a day in my onset life that I, you know, I, I don't know who said it, but you know, this isn't a job you can call in sick from, you know, you're always Skylar from he is legend. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, no matter what I'm doing in my life, no matter how long it's been since I put out music, I, I will still be talking to fans who give a shit. And that's fortunate. And that keeps me on my toes and keeps me humble in that, in that regard. And I think that all washes over me when I step on stage, because I do realize, and I do remember what it's like to watch bands and feel inspired by music and feel a love for an artist that I don't know. And you know what music does to people, M music still does that to me. So I, I do, I don't feel like I'm playing a character. I think maybe I did for a moment when I got sober mm -hmm. and I started really recognizing what parts of me weren't showing up on stage anymore, you know, and what, uh, and I think those were positive things, but I think I was recognizing them. And I think that I felt like I was phoning it in and just took some time to realize that I was just being more genuine and, and being less drunk, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. being less, uh, less, um, uh, there's less of a, of a wall up that I, that I would normally have because I mean, I, I, I do not that I suffer from social anxiety, but I do have some sort of, um, ineptitude, I guess, when, when I'm in crowds and when I, I do, I do feel like a chameleon at, at times. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Keith Richards said it about, about uh, Mick Jagger that like singers are chameleons and they fit the bill of who needs to be in the room with the people they're in the room with. And I've always felt like that. I've always felt like I can adapt and match energies maybe as an empath. I feel that and, and pick up on that. But I, uh, 
I don't, I don't think I'm playing a character. No, I, I think that I do totally separate the, my life in film from my life in, in music because they're so vastly different, but yet they're, they're pretty similar. Like I said, with the timeline and like, you know, travel and whatnot, you obviously, um, there's a lot, there's a lot you have to put on at a show, especially say a show that's not, you know, not so exciting. I mean, you do have those shows where you're like pumped and you can't wait to play, but there, there are those shows where it's raining and it's Wednesday and the, you know, Billy Buttfuck's playing down the street and, you know, there's a baseball game and, you know, they, everybody was here last night for Zayo. And, you know, as all those things stack up as they often do on the road, there are those nights where you're just like, you know, oh, I don't, do I want to do this? And then you get on stage and it's just as, it's just as fine as it would be if there were thousands of kids who were so stoked. Cause there's 50 kids there that are really stoked and you have to, constantly remind yourself that so all the things you know i've been doing this for 20 years or more now so i think i wear a lot of that internally as we all do i think i think that it's hard to mask all of those emotions because i mean i couldn't have told you when we were writing and recording this record back in january i had no idea what was going to happen none of us did we just knew that we were writing a record we had no idea we were going to tour again like are we going to tour ever again is this ever going to happen mm -hmm. so the, there's a lot of angst in this record and also you know i was spread really thin because i was working and i did have i did have a job and a job that I was very thankful for. And there's always this like, well, now I've got to go and record where I'm going to be making no money doing this. You know, you don't get paid to record. Um, and then hope that something comes out of it, you know, waiting around for mixes, waiting around for mastering, waiting around for a marketing plan, waiting around for artwork, you know, mm -hmm. all these things just get, they pile on, you know, it piles on and it, 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 it affects the psyche of the band, regardless of whether you want to admit it. I think it might even be a subconscious thing, but I mean, after a while, all of the minutia piles on and it starts to take away from the reason why you did this in the first place. You know, you do this, I, I will be 40 in March. I'm still doing this with my best friends. Why? Like, I don't, I don't have an answer for that other than the fact that I know there is a demand. There are people who love our music so much that they would, they would be upset if we stopped. Mm -hmm. I would be upset if we stopped. I want to see this machine continue to grow. And, you know, it's our baby. I, we've been nurturing it for a long time. I feel like white bat was kind of robbed in a way because of the pandemic, because we were riding some sort of, wave that we had not felt in a very long time and i think this album is showing some signs of like you know really really interesting things happening and i i can't say that i haven't tried to piggyback my inspiration and my enthusiasm for film and try to like you know use that as maybe a meditation towards the band of like keeping this creative flow going through all aspects of my life, through my relationship with my loved ones, through my, you know, through the work that I do on my own little podcast, through, 
my writing through anything like that. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like inspiration is something you pick out of thin air. So why, why can't you take it from one craft to another? And I'm really hoping that I, that I can use that and use all of these like very inspiring moments that I've had over the last few years to push myself and to be a better person. And he is legend and to bring that all of that energy that I've been building over the last couple of years into this band and what we're doing for this new record, because I do feel like it says something. I'm not sure what it says. I was, it was a fever dream for me to, to record, but I think whatever happened, I think it's, it's something very interesting and it's something that I, I think people are like excited to hear. So I'm, I'm stoked to see what that is. I know I went on a tangent there from your actual question, but I, yeah, I, I think, I think more so I feel like I'm playing a character when I'm on set. Okay. I feel like, and, and I feel like most people on set look at me as like, cause they, most of them know that I'm in a band and they know that I have a little bit of like, you know, whatever fandom would be, but they, they recognize <laughs> that. And so they expect me to bring some sort of like flair to what I do, which is, um, I think it's a little easier for me to play a character on that side than mm -hmm. it is for me to play a different person on stage because I, I feel like I'm genuine on stage and, and, uh, I feel like I've only become more genuine in the last few years. Yeah, dude. I, 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 I'm curious what a little bit back there when you were talking about, you know, not knowing why, but, but knowing, you know, you guys have been grinding on this and, and doing your thing for so long. Let me ask you this. Would, would knowing the reason why change anything that you're doing? Absolutely. I think the, I think the whole, you know, music for all bands, regardless of size is a crapshoot. You know, you can, you can be the biggest, biggest band out right now, but I mean, you see how long it lasts, you know, mm -hmm. you have to do something. And even in this day and age, you're supposed to be doing something to make yourself relevant. There is no more relevance just for relevance sake. You know, we're not in the age of Metallica anymore where they're just putting you in magazines just because you're hot. You know, it just, it just doesn't work like that anymore. There's an algorithm to life in and out of social media. So I think knowing why we do this, I mean, we all would tell you our own reasons why. And most of it, most musicians would tell you that they just can't, there's no other way. I can't not make music, but why are you doing it in the vein that you're doing it? Why are you doing it with the people you're doing it with? Why do you write music that's in the vein of this band and not in the vein of this band? You could do both. You could write a country song if you'd like. Why don't you do that? Mm -hmm. I think giving away that answer to any musician is taking away a little bit of the shine that comes with, with the unknowing. Mm -hmm. and for us we've always dealt with crazy speed bumps that i look at and i'm sure every band does but i look at them as as little affirmations you know like when something goes wrong it means that you're doing something right i think that might be a buddhist mm -hmm. philosophy but i truly believe that when i you know we had the day that our songs came out we started hearing all this amazing feedback and then um, we got some, some news that we were, we had a lineup, not a lineup change in the band, but we had somebody in our, in our management drop out for personal reasons. And it was like, 
you know, do, do what's best for you. Serve yourself, please. Like no hard feelings. We can, we can do this. You know, we're, we're essentially self-managed now because it's like this has to have happened for a reason. We're on this path. Times are changing. Let's continue forward. Always continue forward. And I think if we would let something like that, just like bum us out, then you're really, you're allowing the negative space to enter, you know, and that's, something that we may you know we may sing heavy metal music with like dark undertones but i think all in all we try to we try to remain a positive mental attitude through throughout because without that you're you're giving in to this humdrum attitude of of you know something that could ultimately take over and really uh whitewash your creativity so um I refuse. And I think we all, we all refuse to, I think, I think we had to basically slow down because the world ended when white bat was on its, on its rise. Mm -hmm. And there was no way to be like, no, we're not going to do this. But also I didn't want to put out music that had this like stamp of COVID on it. You know, I didn't want to put out, do a live stream or something. We were toying around with the idea of, of doing it hates you live. And there was just something that felt weird and off so you know when we when we finally like buckled down and just started getting this new record down it was like this is what needs to happen this makes sense this is flowing better so i think it's maybe those things that keep us wondering why we do this because you know when something crazy pops up and you're like why do i do this and you get a glimmer of the answer but you, you never can confirm that answer is right. And I don't think you ever will, you know, I mean, you, you'll, you'll ask yourself when you're on tour with a crazy band and you're just like in some weird city and you're like, what am I doing? But then you, you realize you're doing it for the one or two people who like have been dying to see you, been dying to hear you. And that's why, that's why we're there. You know, that's why we'll always be there. I mean, even we've been struggling to get on tours and it's just because everything's oversaturated right now. Everyone's on tour and we're not the most social. We don't have a huge social footprint. You know, our, our fans know what we do, but we're not posting four times a week, some bullshit about, you know, like here's a playthrough of this and that. Yeah. Because yeah. we've just never been able to do that. You know, we've ne- it, it would almost seem like, I'm sure you could see through it. If we did, if we were to do it, you could see that it was like just uh, doing it through gritting our teeth. And yeah, it's not. Who so you that's are. one thing that's been, it's very hard for us to try to embrace that, but we've, we've been trying, we've been, you know, trying to get ourselves to, the, to that level, but it's, uh, it's difficult because we're, you know, we're like just on the cusp, you know, like you see, like, you know, the Deftones don't have to do that. They don't have to, they don't have to do those things if they don't want to. And like, there's all these bands like that are, you know, five to six years to 10 years, our senior that were kind of grandfathered into being like, you don't have to be in you, you don't worry about it. You don't have to, you don't have to start a TikTok. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. But we're, but we're in this class of people who like are expected to be, um, to have our lives on display. And there is an amount of that, that I think is taxing and like kind of, kind of bad for your mental health and, uh, yeah. And again, it kind of like ruins the mystique a bit, which we've always kind of had this veil of, you know, 
who are these guys? And I, I like that about us, but there is, there's, there's, there's something to be said for it. And there's also some progress we could make. We could be better at it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's on our, in our, on our, our to-do list of, uh, of self betterment is to be a little more transparent with who we are without sacrificing our integrity. Mm-hmm. It shows though, man, you've got the, you guys got the, the best kind of fans though. you have that like cult following that is so loyal and, and they will always be there with you regardless of the size. Like yeah. you have that, you have, that's something you can't buy that. You can't, you can't yeah, we're fabricate blessed. that you earn that. Yeah, by we're being blessed unique to have that. And being having that it factor. And you guys have that. That's the thing. Like you have that. Like you have that that charisma. That that um, you know, when people before you came on the show the first time, the amount of people that reached out to me, like, you have to talk to this guy. No. Out, incredible amount of people. You, and then afterwards, people are like, holy shit, like you have to talk to get him on again. Like, or or thank you so much. For having him on the show yeah. like dude the pleasure was mine it was awesome like but they're so loyal you know yeah deftones have that deftones have maybe on a larger level but yeah i mean they've been doing this since the 90s right like 89 right. or whatever and and they all they're have probably... their same problems like everybody else and it's, it's not a cakewalk you know like but as everyone does and it's just you just have that that uh, you know, that fan base that is just going to be there until the bitter end until, you know, and it's, that's so incredible. And with these new songs, like it is so fucking heavy. Like when I put yeah. them on the first time, it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. you know, all the, like yeah. the, 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 I don't know. Yeah. I'm a guitar player and I don't even know what this is called, but those, the those rake. like, yeah, the rake. Yeah. <laughs> the rake. Yeah. It's, it's fucking that's straight crazy. out of the, that's straight out of the Gojira handbook. Yes. But, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I mean, I, I really, I really, uh, I really respect you. I consider you a pal and, uh, and, and thank you for recognizing that. Cause we, if there's one thing that we can pride ourselves, pride ourselves on and is through no fault of our own, our fans are loyal and mm-hmm. they have gotten us through more than we could ever thank them for. And this, like, if, if we had to say why we do this, the, token cornball question would be we do it for the fans but our fans know that we do it for them regardless mm-hmm. um they're the only reason we do it why we do it for ourselves that's the question we'll never know because yeah. there's a there's just a, a there's a moment where we where you have to ask yourself like when when can you when can you like how long can you last making zero dollars being a band? You know, like how long can we go about doing this into our, into our adulthood? And yet still you, you find yourself like even two years of solitude with COVID and, and uh, being, being off the road and being angst ridden through all of this. Still, we had to put out music, you know, there's still something that made us have to say something about it. Um, regardless of whether or not it's, uh, even, you know, the subject matter is not necessarily about this. However, it does breach some of it and some of the frustrations it's, we still had to do it. And I think 99% of that would be because the fans wanted it and we wanted to appease the fans and to have them 
you know, give them something because we had given them nothing for so long. Um, but yeah, I, I'm incredibly humbled by just, you know, um, this album for me was a, was a very, uh, just, I, I was sick. We had to push recording. I mean, I went through all that with you already, but mm-hmm. I, I was, I was super sick, but having to push recording, I, I posted a video, um, basically explaining that I couldn't make it to Nashville. You know, I was going to drive up there so like 11 hours. And I had gotten sick like the day before. And I was just like, if I get sick on the road, like there's, I'm going by myself, I'm driving myself. There's nothing I can do. Nothing I could do. I would, you know, cause when I would get sick, it would last for days at a time. It could last a week. Um, so I was terrified. And then when I got there, our, uh, Mitch, the producer who produced my vocals, um, he, he was also dealing with some health issues. So we were both in this state of just like, just, it, it was a dark, dark place. It was very dark. It was a very dark place. The house was dark. The mood was dark. The weather was kind of gray and dark. There was just a cloud and him and I had to, we had to pull each other up out of this, even though we both continued to, to feel bad we had to find a way to, to continue. And I couldn't, you know, as I was recording, I was under this huge amount of dread of like, people are going to fucking hate this. They're going to hate this. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, constantly just doubting myself and feeling like I, I, I was letting people down. So there was a lot of, there was a lot that I had to work through during this record. And a, a lot of times I really feel like I was a conduit for something else. Like, I feel like I was pulling some of these words from the ether and they weren't mine, you know, and, and, you know, being a spiritual person and, um, wholeheartedly believing that you can tap into, to energies and conduit, uh, conduit, what was being said for lack of better explanation, I guess, uh, I just don't, a lot of it, when I listen back to it, I don't know where that was coming from. And I think that that now looking back on it, I think that it was a gift. And the fact that when we released these songs, I was like pulling my hair out. Like, are people like, what are people going to say? You know, cause I, I obviously like, you know, I come from a generation of like, like don't ever fucking get on lamb goat, you know, like, mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, don't, don't read the comments, yep. but we were just, you know, there was just, just a downpour of positive comments and people just loving what they're hearing and so excited. And it, it touched my heart in such a way that like, I don't think the fans actually will understand. And for the whole band, because we were always met with these, these, these answers that are, kind of half-assed like well you know you you well you'll there'll be tours in the you know when when we come back from from winter break you know what i mean like so we're just just all these all random things but it's we've always had these like speed bumps and and like i said i, I do believe that they're signs of better things to come but when we release these two songs and we have two more songs coming out uh the end of this month i i was just 
I was blown away that people enjoyed them because I, I was very, very nervous as to like what was going to be said, what people were going to think, because I just, I don't remember. I, I, I have very little recollection of, of the recording process. And I just remember being nervous and downtrodden and coming out of sickness, coming out of, of working like, you know, crazy long hours on set and, and, just not feeling like I was in my element and not feeling very rock and roll at all and having to, to knuckle up and, and, and find this person that I wasn't anymore. You know, it'd been two years since we had been on the road we were pulled off the road during like a very, very amazing, like steep climb to what we considered to be, you know, we were on our way to a climax of white bat, like something was going to happen. And then it was just like, Hey, go home boys. Uh, something's happening, go home. And then we were home. And so going into the studio, whereas, you know, not, not downplaying musicianship of, of my guys, because they're, they're the best, you know, I, I can't think of better players in, in the game right now, but for a vocalist, you have to be yourself and you have to, you have to say, you know, you have to use your voice and be yourself or a character that you create, but it's a, a version of you that has to show up. And on record, you have to be performing, not only like you're performing for other people, but you're performing the best version of that performance mm -hmm. that's been, that's been heard, you know, I mean, like, like it has to be the best, the best take of that performance is what makes it on the record. So all of those things stacking up and weighing down on me, I mean, it's just like, it was so daunting and so overwhelming. Like I usually don't hate the recording process, but I felt, I felt really like out of place. And eventually I, I, you know, I started to get excited and things started to fall into place. But again, I, I only remember it as being a conduit for something. Something was speaking through me. Something was giving me words. And, and they were coming out of this, this place of like almost a fever dream is the way I would describe it. Because I don't, I don't feel like it was part of me. I don't feel like it was something I was sitting on, you know, waiting for. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a very, very surreal experience. But that all going back to saying like the fans are just the best and have given us so much love and support that like, I just can't wait to get back out and like showcase these tunes and like be able to, to give a performance, especially now that I'm well and I feel, you know, better and more clean and, and just like a better version of myself, you know, that's like so important to me now. It's something that I wouldn't trade. So I'm like, all of those things just are, it's exciting now. It's exciting now to be, uh, whereas before I think I would dread tour a little bit and, you know, you're always like, you know, you're waiting for your next beer, you know, you're waiting. Yeah. You just, mm -hmm. you know, that's your, that's kind of your jumping point for the day. You know, when can I have a beer? When can I get, you know, like those, those little things are behind me now. And so I, uh, yeah, I relish the, the newness of what tour could be. And that's, that's, uh, that's exciting. And also being able to juggle that in film I mean, going back to what we were talking about. I, I, I have an immensely creative job and being able to be creative on the road. is just like, I've, I've prayed for that my whole life. I've wanted to be a filmmaker. So I think I'm on the road to, 
be able to do both things that I've wanted to do since I was a kid. So yeah. I got a pretty good life. Dude, a pretty good life. You, you, I'm so happy for you with where you are in life right now, you know, being sober, being healthy, being in a happy place, being in a, a place, a little less uncertainty, but allow me to weigh in on what you were talking about earlier with your vocals and where you were coming from being, being incredibly vulnerable, incredibly insecure, incredibly, confused uh you know trying to be a conduit for something and i really feel this and i've felt this the second you started saying this it what i feel you were being a conduit for and where those words were coming from that you were reaching for and grabbing were from this fan base think of how many people in that crowd feel insecure not good enough like a failure and go and see you to get beyond that right they were speaking to you through so many years of of shared energy in those rooms when that went oh, away yeah. when that went away all of that stays with you and you start pulling from all those energies all those all that hurt all that uh joy the the insecurity the the uh feeling insufficient feeling you know not good enough feel like i don't belong all those fans belong at that fucking show and oh, you're yes. on stage leading that crowd, dude. Like that's that's what you're pulling from is all I the know, years I'm, of that energy. Those I words. I never thought of that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm glad Thank you didn't think that. about it then because it made it a genuine thing as it was happening. I'm glad we're talking about this now because it's already happened. It's already done. That's You've crazy. already pulled from it. And I really feel that's the case, man. Like I dude, that's amazing. There's that's so amazing. much of Thank a connection between there. And it's happened multiple times you know on on this show especially starting to realize that that stuff is all connected and it sticks on you like it imprints on you just like all those people in that crowd can tell you the first time they heard your band and where they right. were and what that car smells like what that party was like right there's right. nothing to to believe that it doesn't go the other way for no 100 percent. and yeah, uh, I, mean, I can't believe i never made that connection but you're you're 100 right you're 100 right well there's a thing that dana gould told me on this show uh he was friends with robin williams and when robin yeah. williams committed suicide he said something that uh robin williams was was like a sports car you and you better believe that if that sports car can go 190 miles an hour forward it can go 190 in reverse yeah and that that two-way street that give and take that stuck with me like <sighs> you just think about just flip the script and think yeah. about it that way. When you're in that moment where you're confused or feel like you're not good enough, like Jesus Christ, man, like like flip it around and go that way. Completely change yeah, direction. It's so it's so beautiful. Reverse engineer. Because also, like I, I remember moments of in the recording process where I felt like like walking away from it and not, and not knowing how to explain myself or where to go. And then I would just walk upstairs. The booth was in like a little finished room over the garage and I would walk upstairs to try to like not commiserate, but just like figure out what my thoughts were. And then we would just kind of listen back to the song and then something would come to me. I'd be like, oh, no, I think no, I think I got it. Let's just do it. And then and then it would be done. You know, and we would we would get work on it and finish it. And I would, and I would be like you know, after that walk out to the car to like smoke a cigarette or something. And I would just be like, 
I just, I, I just wanted to quit for a minute. And then it's like, but, but then, but then, you know, you're not, you know, it's like, you're toying with yourself for a reason yep. and whether to pull something out of you or whatever. Um, not, not once did I think I was going to actually be like, sorry guys, I can't, but I, I, I do attribute some of my sickness to, to things of that nature, like roadblocks, you know, stuff just like my body being like, you're not this guy anymore. Like, who do you think you are? Things like that. And I, you know, I, I could attribute it to a million things, you know I mean? I could to, to toying with darkness in the past to having, having, uh, you know, being open to, to different energies and whatnot, but, but yeah, I mean, I love that analogy of just like, I've, I've taken in so much from so many people over so many years and it's all been kindness and it's all been, you know, I can't tell you the amount of people who tell me that like certain words or songs or things have gotten them through something. And it's maybe those messages that got me through this. And that's just a beautiful thing to think about. I, th I really appreciate you saying that. That means the world to me. Absolutely. It just came to me in, in, in like all those things that they've said, you just didn't need to call on them until now. They've always been there. You've probably always been pulling from them, but you didn't need yeah. them until now. And that's when it counts. And that's when right. it's like a savings account, like, and you just lost your job and you needed it now. There it yeah. is. They were there for you when you were there for them. And it just, it, it's 100%. just a trade-off. It's a trade-off. And, and it's an incredible place to be. And yeah, and you don't squander it. Like you just made from what I've heard from these two songs, it's going to be the best record you've ever done. Like it is, it's ferocious, but it's your vocals nasty. are still, yeah. your vocals are still on a level that you can hear the vulnerability. You can hear the, the, it's not just like loud. It's it, it, there's feeling behind it. Like always like the, the lyrics, like yeah. all of it is, is relatable. And I mean, you're such a relatable person. You have the charisma, but you, you are relatable at the same time. And, and that is such a cool thing that, you know, uh, that just adds more to that feeling like everyone put the vocals on this record. Everyone put the yeah. words on this record that's been in those rooms with you because, you know, uh, you're providing them, I don't want to say a service, you're providing them an outlet to unleash. And that's, yeah. that's where it gets stored. I feel like... <laughs> feel like i'm back talking to ross robinson again <laughs> about no, this it, spiritual stuff but like it's uh you know it's all for the greater it's all for music it's all for that no, like, I, i'm a i'm a member of that church you know i mean i've 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 always known because i was that kid you know mm -hmm. i was the one looking for that for so long mm -hmm. and i you know for a moment in our career i believe i i became a bit jaded and and let you know, the energies around me kind of, um, overtake me, but there, it, it wasn't very long before I recognized the error of my ways and decided, you know, that this is for the people only, you know, and, and they deserve it more than I deserve anything else. So that's why we haven't quit. And I, I, I know that this, uh, I know that this record is going to be something because like you said, it, it, it comes from a place of humility and it comes from a place of, you know, using 
this love that we've been shown for so long to, to actually get to the, to the end point. So yeah, 100%. I mean, you just kind of, uh, put the nail on the coffin for me for, for, uh, for my excitement level to rise because I'm just, you know, there's, there's so many, there's so many variables that go along with this. And, you know, you can get hung up on like, well, who are we going to tour with? Who's going to take us out? What are we going to do this, that, the other, but that, that those things are meaningless. You know, I mean, the fact that we're playing a show next week in North Carolina, granted, we're not making it to the West coast, but it's one more thing that we can do mm-hmm. to to make the fans happy. And that's, that's what it's about. So, I mean, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful and I'm, I'm very optimistic about our future. And I think, uh, I think only good things will come because I'm, you know, we're all trying to better ourselves and we're all trying to like really focus on, on this band as a, as a well-oiled machine. And it's Mm -hmm. never been, never been better than than it has right now. So than it is right now um yeah so that that uh thank you for the, those insights because i really needed to hear that absolutely i'm glad i can give you something to take from this because i take so much from these <laughs> i'm glad i can impart something <laughs> yeah. else you know and i've got two well, you're a sage my friend I've, you're a sage you, got... you, there's a reason why you're in that chair right there and I mean, you know they don't just give this microphone to anybody That's you know sure yeah i bought this microphone they won't give me one i've tried <laughs> Shout out to right. Road, who will not send me a free microphone after six years of yeah, using this microphone. Yeah, shout out to Road. Uh, shout out to Road. Yeah, Thanks shout out. Uh, put that energy <laughs> out there. But um, I have two movie references to sum to, to sum up some of what we've been talking about. Okay. And the one is Look. Jeff, who lives at home. You've seen that movie, I assume. Oh no, but I just uh, it's on my list. I'm, I'm going to write it down right now. This one, and I won't. Then I won't go into detail on this except for what I said about storing that energy or that purpose until you act, until you needed it. That is the lesson from that movie. I won't spoil it, but um, yeah, he's chasing, he's chasing something that he can't put his finger on purpose wise. And right. And uh, anyway, it's Jason Siegel and uh, Andy from the office. I forget his name. Uh, Ed, Ed Helms, um, Ed Helms and Susan Sarandon. It's super cool. Ooh, um, love her. It's on streaming. I'm sure a bunch of places. The other one is, what I feel happens when you put a record out or put out a piece of artwork or put out a new podcast or whatever, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. When okay. uh, Bill, I think his name is Billy. Uh, the, the kid who watches TV all the time and he gets zapped in the, in the, uh, in the, the room and turns into all those little pixels that are floating above yeah. the world. Yeah. 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 I think that's what happens. And then we pull from those things. Yeah, and I literally 100% agree vaporize yourself over the world and give it to give it to the world, put it out there. And I always say it takes bravery to do that, to put something of yourself out there in the world, regardless of what's going to happen with it. But then everyone can pick from that little pixel farm. And yeah. uh, I was just picturing that in my mind as we were talking. And and uh, but anyways, you got to watch Jeff who lives at home. It's it's incredible. Film. Certainly, um, I'm definitely going to do that. And you can watch Willy Wonka again. I'm sure you've seen it a thousand times, like me. But a thousand uh, times, I'll watch it a thousand times so good. more. So I'll good. just I'll just tell you uh, just because I watched it last night. Watch Monster Squad. Just do it. Okay. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Watch it again. It's great. It really clicks, kicks, clicks all the boxes or, or, or checks, checks all the boxes, them, <laughs> checks them, clicks them, right clicks on them for, uh, for Halloween. And then, uh, 
I'll, I'll say if you haven't seen Take Shelter, a film that I worked on, yeah. watch, watch it. I, you know, I think it's a great uh, psychological thriller. And it, it stars the great Michael Shannon and the great Jessica Chastain. So if you haven't seen that movie, give it a give it a whirl. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that. I'm gonna watch the grandmother uh, after this. Oh while, yeah. While I'm yes. bouncing yeah, yeah. this all down here at the studio, and then uh, take shelter uh, when I get home uh, tonight, later tonight, before I. Uh, yeah, that's a that's retire. that's definitely one. Uh, definitely one, a couch movie for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, and and uh, small note about um I'll, I'll i'll try to get i'll try to get in touch with michael too and see if he'll if he'll come on your your podcast Dude, i know he's a man he's a man of few words but i'll uh I'll not see a if big I can, deal not a big deal see we if can i can change that, that. <laughs> yeah yeah you can you you would be the one to be able to do it's it. not a uh it's it's the hardest thing man to try to convince people that this podcast is not what they're thinking when they say hey do you want to do this podcast I, it's right. so hard unless you can show them or bring yeah, them on. exactly and uh exactly that's my heart that's my biggest trial is trying to like explain it in a short email that doesn't make them delete it yeah. uh yeah no i, I totally get it i mean i i'm i'm obviously one of like you know i like i said earlier long form interviews are are usually the pits mm -hmm. but you really create a safe space for us so uh we owe you we owe you a great tip of the hat sir i appreciate that skyler and uh you become a really good friend over the years man and and uh likewise do we i can't wait to see you in person yeah. someday out there on hopefully the streets. very soon yeah <laughs> unless yeah. i make it over there yeah but, wander uh, on set someday i'm yeah. over there like moving a moving a armoire <laughs> <laughs> If you ever, like, if you ever run out of stuff, like say film stops happening for you, music stops happening for you, you can start staging houses for retail or uh, real estate. Oh yeah, that that's when, Huge uh, money. when I when I did um, I did my taxes. That was one of the things. Like they were like, well, "There's no button for uh, set decorator. We're, we're, what are we going to call? It? I guess interior design." I was like, yeah. that's fine. That that works. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a world out there, you know, we'll see you in it one day. Absolutely. Dude, this has been fucking awesome. I yeah, man. I love always, so always love talking to you, brother. I can't wait to see you. Uh, best to you and yours. And Likewise. I'm going to get on Jeff lives at home. I'm going to go watch that right now. Dude, let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, uh, I'll be in touch. Thank you, Dewey. All right, buddy. Much love. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Much love. All Pleasure's right. all mine. We'll see you. <laughs> Bye. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did with Skylar Kroom coming back for his second appearance on the show. It will not be his last. We'll probably do it yearly this time, I think. Uh, it's been a few years since we did it before. I was still doing it in my car last time and having a studio to sit comfortably and look at Skylar on the video uh, was very helpful on this conversation. Uh, we hit some some tough spots. Uh, we hit some high notes. I'm just so grateful to have this this medium, this platform to bring things to you guys, to glean things for myself as well from these conversations. I feel like I learn something every time, if not multiple things. And every conversation I think just gets stronger uh, from that experience and from that building. And, you know, no, no one's, no one's graded anything. I think right out of the gate, it takes time and practice. And I'm not saying anything about uh, greatness on my end. I'm just saying every conversation, I pick something up and I feel like I'm in a better spot for the next conversation. I've, I have so much to learn 
in this medium and and what it is and and how to perfect it. But I do feel every one of these episodes, uh, I get a little closer to being better at the next one. And uh, I, I, I'm I'm in it for the long haul and the build. So if you guys are struggling with something or working towards something, do not give up. Do not give up hope. Every time you practice, every time you go out there and do it, you get a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you learn something you didn't know. Um, you're just pushing towards that, what is it, 10,000 hours? I don't know if I buy the 10,000 hours exactly, but you're pushing towards something. So keep going. If you're trying for something, keep going. If you're not trying for something, fucking get up and go try for something. If you have an idea, go try it. If you have a, a, a motivation, get up and, and scratch that itch. You know, try something new. Reach out to somebody. Help somebody out. Do I mean, just be proactive. If we're all proactive, there's no way this place can't get much better than it is. Um, you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox. I'm just, I do all these in live time. So right now I'm sitting on my couch and there's three dogs staring at me, wondering what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm just stream of consciousness. So sometimes I say some things that are a little weird, uh, but that's just what was going through my mind. So get up, do something, uh, get motivated, take your idea and make it a reality it is, it is absolutely possible. Um, I love each and every one of you guys. Thank you so much for coming back week after week. I know I say it all the time and I will continue to do so. Um, but I really, really appreciate it. You guys have grown this show into something tangible and and really made a dream come true here. And I, I cannot be more thankful. Uh, please continue to show friends the show. Uh, reach out. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear what you're, think, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Um, you know, lots of good stuff already in the can and lots of good stuff coming up. So we no signs of stopping here. So stick with me and I will, I promise I will give you the best stuff I can. Um, and thank you for all your continued support. All right. I'm going to jump out of here. Thank you so much, guys, once again. And as always, we'll see you on the radio.
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.